Hello, welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Ed Draper here, sports broadcaster in the UK. Hope you're well. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you to the sponsors as ever, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen Cheltenham website, BO underscore Cheltenham on social media. Always stress that kind of Serene AV component of the business means they can source you whatever equipment you're looking for, not just Bang Olufsen's fine stock from uh, around the world, I guess principally Germany, but um, some uh, wonderful equipment down there in the courtyard in Montpellier, but more besides, you can uh, search and speak to Jason Briggs and his team through the website, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, get a bespoke solution to what you want, what you can afford, your whole budget and vision. Also, thank you to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company for their ongoing association with the podcast. We've been taking the supplements actually for 20 plus years as a family under the stewardship of my father, Dr. Mark Draper, who is a general practitioner here in the UK in the Cotswolds, but also longstanding nutrition lecturer, course leader, and also micronutrition, his specialty or his specific area of interest. And he's uh, fascinated specifically by selenium and zinc and the relative depletion in UK soil due to industrial farming. So he's a big fan of the multivitamins from Cytoplan in particular. I take the Immune Complete 2 as an adult man. You would take Immune Complete 1 as an adult woman and there's Immunovite for kids. But a whole range of bespoke specific supplements as well at cytoplan.co.uk. And you get a discount with the podcast. The code is DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Thirty percent off initial purchases, ten percent thereafter, I believe. Um, and yeah, hope you're well. Optimizing immunity is certainly key at the moment, isn't it? It's certainly a global conversation. Hopefully, we can lead to some positive health legacies from all the doom and gloom and the loss over the past eighteen months due to COVID nineteen. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's site of plan. Appreciate their support, and also just if you're ever wondering whether you'd like to hear a loved one's voice again and certainly I had a feeling during lockdown that I'd love to have heard my granddad's voice who passed away my mother's dad when I was 14 used to sit on his knee in West London as the flights went over the airplanes up in the sky when I was a toddler and and a little bit older and he'd tell me tales of growing up in the northeast moving to London becoming a painter and decorator at the age of 14 in the mid-1930s pre-second world war fighting in the war but those memories get a little bit dusty and opaque with age, don't they? I just thought it'd be great to hear his voice. So we're actually starting a project, my wife and I, where we record people's life stories for posterity for future generations. Not maudlin, hopefully not anyway. It's a positive thing to be able to drive, listen to your grandmother, mother, father's voice, whatever it may be, whoever it may be special to you, to have them with you in a sense with their voice there in a quality recording and also a transcript of that we provide with a book. It's called Attic Box Audio. And you can find out more about it at drapermedia.co.uk forward slash attic box audio and then get in touch if you would like to book me in as an interviewer, conversationalist. It's not really an interview, it's a chat just about life from the early stages of childhood to the present day. Not a rigid sort of chronology, but just a kind of free flowing chat where it goes forward and back in, in time and just that person's recollection is not a factual account and just something for for their loved ones to have for future generations. So that's Attic Box Audio. Anyway, on to the podcast. Mark Nielsen has been promoting for over a decade in the West Country, lives in Sirencester, not far from me in Cheltenham, but principally puts on shows in Swindon, 
uh, beautiful market town. He talks about the numbers here, actually not a big uh, population, but certainly a boxing hotbed in terms of the fan base. And we talk about the business of boxing. Fascinating conversation. Uh, Mark has been very successful in other walks of life in his recruitment business, but is determined to achieve and grow his promotional business from small hall shows, which they call them at, at that level, but to uh, to maybe a global level is he's, he's considering that. And we talk about how boxing may need to be restructured as well. Here he is, the one and only Mark Nielsen. Mark Nielsen, welcome to the podcast. How are you, sir? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's brilliant to have you, and um, I'm really excited. I, I guess you must be excited that the world's opening up. Boxing shows coming back to Swindon. Oh, 100%. I mean, what a horrible 18 months it's been for yeah. society, economy, but talking specifically about boxing, you know, to boxing in general. I mean, I'm, I'm a promoter, I'm a manager, but I'm a boxing fan. And to, mm. to not be able to be sat at ringside watching boxing, it's been a killer. So, yeah, great is opening up. Great that we're able to go and watch shows again. Great for the boxers to be out doing what they do. So, yeah, it looks like it's all getting back to some sort of normality now, which is, you know, thank goodness for that. Yeah, what are the restrictions, if any, for the small hall shows now? Can you just, can you basically do the numbers you were doing before? Yeah, the numbers we can. There are restrictions. So the crowd is fine. We can get the crowd numbers back in. We have to have, um, you know, I'm getting an email from the boxing board about once a week with some sort of minor updates, but... One of the main thing is you've got to have a two and a half metre working area around the ring now. You might have seen that on some of the TV shows. Okay. There's this big space around the ring with the officials. Everyone has got to be COVID tested, lateral flow tested the day before. Boxers, seconds, officials, MCs, all that sort of stuff. And only they are allowed in. Of course, what that does is means the first row of ringside seats is a little bit further back. So you, yeah. sort of, you can't really see, you know, if, if you're, so your, your best seat, you know, you're sort of three, <laughs> three metres you know, away from the ring. So... It's workable. It's fine. It, you know, there's a bit of difference on the configuration. It's workable. It's good to be back, and we can get still, you know, fill fill the places up. I mean, I've got one. Um, my next show in a couple of weeks' time. You know, we'll get fifteen hundred in there in a small hall venue, some sort of old Art Deco building. I'm sure the atmosphere is going to be great, and everyone's going to be love being back. Brilliant. Where's that, Mark? Uh, the Mecca in Swindon. It's like an old Art Deco sort of um, cinema. So it's got a beautiful sort of small rounded roof. And when you fill nice. it up, it's real old school boxing. You know, you, it's a proper throwback. You can imagine shows, <laughs> it's, you know, going back in the 30s, you know, with the Strawfield boxing gloves. It's just, you know, great little venue. That's brilliant. And um, how have you got through the past 18 months? Have there been government subsidies? What about other small hall promoters? How have How's it been? It's been a struggle, really. I mean... Fortunately for me, boxing isn't my my sole income, so mm. it's okay. I feel for the ones whose it is. I mean, there's a lot of gym owners and boxing managers and promoters who do nothing all day but put on shows, look after boxers, and their lights were just literally turned off. And the the government support for most of them was been has been quite minimal, really. So they they've struggled through it. And I've been in touch with lots of them through. I haven't really taken any government government subsidies. Didn't need to. Don't run a gym. Don't have to worry about that. So I've just sort of just flipped the switch, kept in touch with everyone and waiting for the lights to turn back on again. But, you know, I say a lot of people have struggled out there. Have struggled out there. You imagine some of these gym owners who, you know, they're usually not only are they in the corner on a Saturday night with their fighter, yeah. where the fighter's earning money and they're taking their cut. They're also running a gym where they're getting subs from all their, you know, the kids' classes, the women's classes, the, the you know, the, the white-collar classes and stuff. And that just stopped for them. So it's a really hard 18 months. But now they're back. 
the word is is this backward of vengeance you know because people are just you know not you know pushing the doors down trying to get back in these gyms so they're they're flat out which is good to see yeah it's a big appetite there. that's good isn't it because i think there was a little bit of anxiety particularly in not necessarily just boxing gyms but regular gyms that people wouldn't go back but it seems mm. i guess you can you can extrapolate that to restaurants and, and social activities people seem very desperate to to get back out there well uh, you know like, so you can see these with these festivals you know everyone's just back at it they're sort of just i think everyone's getting vaccinated they think it's all behind them maybe a bit not as cautious as they should be but they're all getting back to normal gyms included what about the fighters mark what, what about the fighters that, that fight at your level have they been keeping trim tip top i mean i'm presuming they've been gone through some dark months as well over the past 18 yeah months. i mean i mean i manage fighters as well and i'm in touch with lots of the managers um it's been some dark times for some of them to be perfectly honest most of them have kept trim waiting for the phone to ring so you know because there's been some yeah. boxing still going on you know if you think there's like over a thousand registered boxers but these tv shows have had six fights a couple of them have been foreigners on there so that's you know and it's that with the war and the hand and the odd hennessy one that's not many fighters getting busy no. so a lot of them have kept fit but there have been some really good ones that have drifted away from the sport unfortunately it's these like the two and oh three and oh four and oh sort of level you know, they were working full time. They were training sort of four or five times a week, running every morning. But they got no date. They've got nothing to train for. And a few of them, and there's some real talent, which has drifted away, um, which is a shame. You know, I mean, I think going back sort of three, four months ago, I was talking to some trainers and we said there's probably a lot of fat boxers out there at the moment. <laughs> so it's, um, um, but, you know, so we've, we've lost a few. And I think everyone's going to lost a few. I mean, we've, we've lost a lot of the... Um, <clears throat> A lot of the journeymen, you know, the, the away yeah. fighters. I mean, I, I, there's 40-odd shows booked in September, which I believe is a record, and everyone's having a bit of a trouble, problem matchmaking because a lot of the boxers have drifted away. So these journeymen who are in the away corner, they might be fighting two, three times a month, yeah. you know, earning anything from, a, a you know, 1,000 to sort of three, 4,000, and they were making a good living. Their living stopped. You know, the mm. subsidies wouldn't have covered them necessarily. And if there's no, there no dates for them, a lot of them have drifted out of the sport, not doing it. And they've gone and got themselves another job and they're, they're home, you know, nine to five and they're, they're home with the wife and the kids. I think, yeah, do you know what? I might not go back to boxing now. So it's we've a lost a few. So. It's a fascinating um, career that the journeyman boxer, isn't it? I yeah. don't know. What, do, do you find that most of them don't have second jobs already and they've, they've had to go and get another job or, or do they usually have a regular job as well? It's a, it's a mixed bag, actually. You know, there's some of these, these sort of well-known ones who are, um, you know, 100 plus fights. They don't yeah. really need another job. I mean, and some of the ones that I know, there's a there's a heavyweight, Phil Williams, he lives sort of local to me, he's part of my shows. He'll sort of work a bit, you know, do the door a bit, have a couple of fights a month, you know. Mm. He can just pick and choose his hours. He spends a lot of time with family. So it works really well. Of course, a lot of countries don't have journeymen per se, do they? So they don't really, you know, I remember seeing some video of Pucci, who was quite local to us yeah. both, Um in America and they're like god how many have you lost you want to give up man you know, <laughs> they don't get it actually it's a job isn't it and he's doing a serving a purpose for the boxing world over here it's funny so it's, it's unique fun to the UK well, it's funny actually and um a friend of mine is a director in television his wife is a lawyer but she was a boxing fan and she was looking mm. into the sort of the ethics the sort of legality of, of the journeyman concept it's an interesting mm. one because how do you how do you phrase it because they're not really expected if they're up against a prospect to come in and and blow them away per se but at the same time it has to be credible and they have to give them a challenge it's it's quite a hard role isn't it it's almost like a public sparring partner in a way i suppose in, in a sense i mean these journeymen you know they do come to win mm. but there's the prospects are usually a prospect for a reason because they've got some talent so you're going to put a, uh, you know a prospect against the journeyman the prospect should win most of the time if they're good enough 
Now, these prospects, we always tell the guys, just because he's lost more than he's won, don't think it's a stroll in the park. If he smells a bit of blood, he's going to go for the win. Mm. They love it now and again. If they're on, a, you know, they're on an eight, uh, an eight streak, lo- you know, eight losing streak, and then they get the win. They love that. They love yeah. it. They, you know, so so don't go in there just thinking this is a gimme. You know, so you can have to go. But the good thing is, is these guys know these gentlemen know what they're doing as well. They're giving these prospects a workout. They're very good defensively because they need to be, so they can keep yeah. on working, keep on fighting, and they give these guys. And if these prospects are good enough, they'll beat them. But if they're not, they get found out. So it's not a case of, you know, this 4-0 guy prospects going to the journeyman to guarantee win. Because if he's not good enough, then that journeyman will smell a bit of blood and they'll put it on him and he could, you know, come away with a win. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fascinating that. It? A journeyman obviously have to stay in the fighting shape, in the fighting weight. So they're not yeah. peaking in trophies. So they're typically a smaller men than the, the prospects, aren't they? Because the prospects have got a camp and they're getting down to a weight for the for the fight. Yeah. So that's that's what makes it interesting. It's a different challenge than than having a 12-week camp and going in there. And also, they, they think about it differently because they can't get knocked out or stopped because boxing board regs, if you get stopped, you're on a 20-day suspension, 28-day suspension. Yeah. Whereas if you just lose on points, you can fight in seven days. So for the journeyman, he doesn't want to get stopped because it no. stops him earning money. So he's going to go in the defensive, keep out of the way. So these prospects have got to go at them. So they've got to go for it. So it's a, yeah, so it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Yeah. At what point do you think, do you think boxing, because it's fascinating because of the last year at Sky Sports, particularly when the pandemic first started, I had to pivot a little bit. And I, um, my day job at Sky Sports News, we reduced to one or two shifts because there wasn't any sport happening to yeah. report on. Um, but then I started interviewing some MMA fighters because we had Bellator rights at the time and interviewed some UFC fighters and people like that. And it's interesting, the contrast between the two, because obviously a, a loss is seen as a lot less detrimental in, in mixed martial arts than it is in in boxing, mm. but they tend to throw people in at the deep end. Where's that balance for a prospect between fighting the journeyman boxer to establish themselves, but then having that acid test? Because a lot of the big fights in boxing we don't see till maybe too late, do we? What's your What's your take on that? It's very different now. I mean, we look back at sort of like the eighties. You know, these these guys weren't fighting for titles until they were getting to twenty fights. Yeah. So and, and they didn't really have journeymen. They just had guys who lost more than they won. They weren't technically journeymen. But this day and age, it's it's I mean, and you're, you're not putting these guys in there just to pad their record out. You're putting them in against a journeyman to sort of build their experience. Yeah. But what's happening now, they're sort of tending to go for area titles or these international titles or whatever a lot sooner. So they, they sort of certainly serve a purpose. Um, but like I say, it's they shouldn't be going in to pad a record. Mm. You know, these boxers get to 10 and 0, 15 and they haven't fought anyone. It's pointless. I don't know what the point is, you know. So... Um, so they're in there to serve a purpose. You know, these, these guys might have had a great amateur career, might have had 30, 40 fights or something. Then they've got to go to a four-rounder. Then they've got to go to a six-rounder, to an eight-rounder. And they've got to do their schooling and stuff. So there's certainly a place for them. But there's, there's just like a certain level, you know. But mm-hmm. they start to, you know, I've got boxers, you know, the guy's having his fourth fight. He already wants to, I want to start fighting somebody on a 50-50. It's just like, hold on a second. You, know, <laughs> they, you haven't done a six-rounder yet. Let's get you up. Let's see what your engine's like. And, you know, mm-hmm. and also these people don't necessarily realise, you know, this, this, a good amateur might have had 40, 50 fights and fought for some titles or something like that. And he's turned pro. He goes in against the journeyman. There's all these tricks that the journeyman know. They know how to sort of mess you up, ruffle you up, lock your arms, put their head in your face a little bit. They're not used to that in the amateurs. So they need to get to use, you know, they don't want to be going in for like an area title in their sort of third, 12th fight and mm. having that experience for the first time against some other guy just because he's got more experience. So that that's the good the learning curve that these journeymen can bring to them. They can they can school them to continue the education. But there's a point 
where they've got to move on and start mm. getting some 50-50s and you start easing them back, you know, easing them up then. Because when they start going in for area titles, none of them are journeymen. They're going to be 50-50s and both of them are going to want it. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? The sort of, um, I suppose, the glitterati of, of domestic boxing. It's a shame that things like Joshua Boazzi and Anthony Yard doesn't happen before yeah. they both seemingly have world title fights. Because I just think there's no shame in losing that fight, is there, if you're Yard or you're Boazzi. I just feel like those contests, actually, we should accept more as a, as a boxing yeah. community. That, and that would Im improve the sport in a way that there's less anxiety about yeah. putting those type of people together. Well, we went through a stage where the, the underfitted record was the all, you know, the, with the big thing, wasn't yeah. it? You know, and they got how many knockouts, how many wins. But, you know, then some of the prospects have then come away and had a bit of a loss. Then the promoters have sort of put a spin on it. Well, it's not such a bad thing for them having, yeah. a, having a loss. It's, you know, they'll come back stronger. And actually, that's sort of true now. It's, it doesn't seem so bad. I mean, look at Daniel Dubois in point. Yeah. His massive prospect. He's got a loss. That's not his career over. No one's no. saying that. They're actually saying that's good for him. Mm. Well, he's learned a lot from that fight. He switched trainers and he's going to come back stronger and whatever. You know, so once upon a time that had been, oh, was that it then? Not <laughs> be thought, you know, so it's, it's, it's positive because, you know, it's one, like you say, with the MMA guys, you know, not many of them have got undefeated records. I mean, I'm not an MMA guy, but when you look mm. at these records, you see a lot of losses on there and they're still up there and they're, they're yeah. big names, which you don't really get with, with boxers, do you? So, um, but like I say, but, but Derek, Derek Chisora aside, I think, is the one that people always point to. But Chisora's almost established himself as a, a gatekeeper in that heavyweight division. Hasn't he done well, though? You know, yeah. I mean, look at his record and the losses that he's got even recently. When was the last time he won? Yeah, he's in still big pay-per-view fights. I mean, that worked that partnership with David Hay really worked for him, hasn't it? He's got a mm. really good... Because he's, like I say, he's a gatekeeper, but he's not just turning up there to take a couple of quid, is he? And do it, you know, he's going there and he's going to win. And he's thinking, if I get this that catapults me to a next level and then I'm in the driving seat. And then, because we all know Derek Chisora is not going to win a world title. Yeah. But I tell you, if you're a boxer with that title aspirations, if you can't beat Derek Chisora, you're not going to, you're not good enough. So yeah. he's a proper gatekeeper, but, and he's still going with the losses on his record. But there's not many, I don't think you could have that sort of losses and that run of losses. You can still be fighting in these big fights as a credible opponent. Yeah, and his performances are always credible. So maybe that's more yeah. about it is how you how you look at the performances rather than the result, yeah. I suppose, which is which would be progressive for the sport. How do you yeah. balance it, Mark? What's your what's your other job? Because I'm I'm guessing organizing a even a small hall show in Swindon is pretty time consuming. What's the balance there? What what's the other sort of main income? Well, I own a, I own a uh, recruitment business, a temporary uh, employment agency. So I've got sort of branches all over the country and uh, lots of staff. So that's my day job and that keeps me busy. I have said to someone that, you know, um, Recruitment pays the bills, but boxing's my love. Unfortunately, uh, the amount of hours it takes to put on a show and to work with the boxers, if, you know, the amount of money you make on probably on minimum wage if you work it out into an hourly rate, because just the amount of time it takes. But I love it, you know. Um, and boxers aren't nine to five. You know, my phone is going WhatsApp, you know, 11 <laughs> o'clock. You know, I, I had one the other day, it's like half one in the morning. Oh. You know, can you just reconfirm the ticket prices again for me? And I always leave my, leave my phone on. Do you? Never know. So it's just pinging all the time. Oh man! Boxes, you know they're, they're sleeping in. They're going to the gym twice a what, day. What, what does your partner say though? She wake it. She's wake up. Is she or she's used to it? She's used <laughs> to it by now. I've been in boxing for years, so she, you know she's used to it. Wow, wow, that's impressive though. And so it's the it's the passion, isn't it? Because boxing at that level is in a lot of sports: grassroots football, grassroots rugby. It's it's um it, it's energized by just people's passion, isn't it? It's a purity to it. Yeah, I mean, it goes against the grain in what I do by day because I've, I run a, 
I run a business, you know, mm. I've got to make it profitable. I've got a business model. I've got staff. I've got people's mortgages who are my responsibility to pay. Um, you know, and, and yet boxing is not rational. It doesn't sort of sit with that because the amount of time I spend for the return you get, my mm. day mark would be saying to my boxing mark, what are you doing that for? But <laughs> it's the passion. It's what you do. You know, I love it. And you know what? If I, um, if my day job didn't make any money, I wouldn't do it. If boxing never made any money, I don't know. As long mm. as I don't lose any money, really. I don't, you know, I, I think I had my interview with the boxing board and they said to me, you want to be a promoter? Do you know how to, you know, they say this to everyone, I'm sure. Do you know how to make a million being a boxing promoter? Start with two million. And they probably say that. They've got this yeah. script that they say. And I can see it, you know, because it's a tough, and I've got, I've got my business, obviously, experience and I take it into the, into the mm. boxing world. And I can run a tight ship. I can run a quite a tight financial model and I can make it all work. But, you know, there's some promoters who've got their, you know, might be a mechanic, run a garage or something, got their head under a bonnet all day. God knows how they do it because there's so mm. much. And I've got my office staff to support with the ticket distribution and the artwork and the posters and stuff. So fair play to these promoters who do it all the time, you know, and it's just they're in a gym by day and they're promoting and stuff. It's, it's a tough old, you know, time-consuming job. But I'll do it for the love. It's great. Absolutely. What? What is the rewarding moment for you? Where's the buzz? Is it when you just walk into the hall and it's full and, and the lights go out for the first time, the fighters yeah. come out? What, what's the moment? You know, for me, I'm always, I tell you, you, you always see Eddie Hearn sat at ringside watching the fight. You mm. know, a lot of the time, apart from the main events, I'm going to be sort of circling around the air. You know, I'm just always looking around, looking what can be done better, what I can prove on. I like that. Next time I'm going to move that. I might go and speak to the sound guy. And But, but really there, what really gets the hairs on the back of my neck standing up is usually my main event. And I think it was last one, 2019, I had Ryan Martin eliminator for a welterweight Commonwealth title. We bought the South African champion. Don't ask me to say his name. I practiced <laughs> it 20 times um, um, back then. And, and he stopped him in the second round. And I just thought this main event is packed out. We had probably 1,500 people in the Oasis in Swindon. Um, it was a great atmosphere, sold loads of tickets. And they said the South African looked the part, great. The South African champion came over to win. And I'm sat there, you could just feel the sort of <laughs> adrenaline. And then, you know, Ryan Martin, you know, he stops him in the second round, crunching body shot, and that's it. For me, I'm there, ringside. This is my show, these are my boxes. Wow, this is going great. You know, that's it for me. Yeah, it's, that's, it's, that, that's what makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, the, the first sort of three hours of that show has just been. Agro, you know, I mean, yeah. people would see that. It's the proverbial swan. I think Paddy Fitzpatrick used to call me swan. Because <laughs> on the surface, I'd come in, how's everything, Mark? Yeah, we're all good. It's going well, you know, but behind the scenes, you've got ticket boxes, you know, and it's like, uh, don't work with kids, animals, or boxes, I think they say. But, you know, but when it gets to that sort of main event and the victory goes with the way you want it to go, that's nothing better. You know, you can see the passion, I think, in. Warren and Hearn and that when their guy wins, you know, it's just that makes it all worthwhile. Would you want to be up at that level with Warren and Hearn in, in a dream world? Or do you think you prefer the sense of, of having a sideline passion and having a, a regular real world business that sustains you? Yeah, maybe no, maybe no, a sane business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now for me, for me, it's like um, anything I do, I want to win. I don't want to sound like a, you know, but I'm not in it to stay small ball. You know, mm. I've had a, a journey through boxing, um, you know, I'm fairly new to the professional ranks. Um, you know, I was in white collar before that, and we had the biggest white collar shows in the country. We did our time then, moved over to the pros, um, and we want to be big. 
when I'm not going to be happy 1,500 people in a, in a small hall venue in Swindon, but we want to start the journey. We start, I'm signing boxes. I'm building it. It's a changing market uh, marketplace, um, you know, with all the, the streaming. I remember saying to somebody in an interview a couple of years ago, you know, you can pay-per-view on YouTube now. Obviously, Eddie's got Sky, Frank's got whatever he had at the time, Hennessy's yeah. a bit on Channel 5. I said, but then I know you can pay for it. Then at the time, I can't remember who it was, it, did a, it might have been a Chris Eubank or someone like that had done a pay-per-view on YouTube or something like that. And I said, that's the way it's coming. And then the zone is all coming. Yeah. Who knows how it's going to be? So I'm building, building, building. And I'm going to, you know, we're just going to wait and see what happens, but we need to be there to ready to capitalise on it. But, you know, I don't want to be, you know, there's some great small guys, you know, they're going to stay great forever. I don't want to just stay small hall. You know, I've got, well, you know, world, world domination, that'll do. <laughs> and with the other business going as well, the recruitment business, juggling both. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, the thing is, I, I man that really well. I'm still involved in that, but I've got a great team. You know, I can go on holiday and my phone won't ring. It gets dealt with. Oh, that's so good. I'd, like to, I'd like to stay on. Everyone sorted out. You come back and you've got things to deal with, but I've got a brilliant team. And it's all about, you know, this, you can't be like a one-man show on anything that you do. And the bigger you get, you're going to need to sort of just get some good people on board. It's the same with the boxing. It's the same with the recruitment. But fortunately, I've got a good team, so that can carry on as it is. You know, I won't take the eye off the ball, you know, with that. But, you know, fortunately, I've got some great people that are running that. So I can spend a bit of time, more time than the return warrants, really, on boxing. But, you know, I just want to, I just want to, you know, just want to go. I like to win at stuff. So, good for you. Good for you. That's good. Good spirit as well. Might as well make the most of uh, the life when when we're here. It's interesting yeah. going back to the MMA point because I know that Barry Hearn's not a massive fan of the mm. the sport per se and and the spectacle of the actual fight, but he does has spoken about the model being one that yeah. I think they envy. And I know that um, Frank Smith, I'm not talking out of school because he's been on the podcast, Eddie's sort of right-hand man, says that they look at the UFC model as something Matchroom would want to emulate, which would be where you have a basically a fixture list. You orchestrate it mm. in, a, in a way you move away from the, the governing body model because it's so fragmented and so arguably lacking in credibility and, and, and so many politics. There's so many different vested interests in in professional boxing. How do you see that? Do you see that as as a possible route for, for boxing where you have promoters who become like the UFC, like Bellator and MMA, where they, they kind of have their fighters and, and they set a schedule rather than the sort of, it's so difficult, it seems, to, to make fights, doesn't it, in, in, at the top end of boxing? It does. I can see it going like that already. You've heard the noises being made from Matchroom. I can see them trying to become a Dana White, you know, UFC mm. and making their own fights irrelevant of the belts and who's got, they'll have, you know, A versus B and irrelevant of the belts to a certain extent, just by putting on great events and great shows and, you know, and they've got the muscle to go and sign these people, haven't they? You know, I think Barry Hearn did it with the darts and the snooker or whatever back in the day, just scooped it up, did it all himself. Mm. I can see them trying to do that with boxing because they're talking about what they call it game changed. Yeah. They are, you know, they are there, aren't they? They're cutting edge. Do you think the governing bodies got themselves to blame? People say there's too many governing bodies, but then I know that I think the boxing commission has now said they're, they're looking to get everyone on board with, with with taking rid of getting rid of the interim titles. I think the World yeah. Boxing Association, the WBA, has been particularly criticised for having so many quote unquote world champions. It does yeah. seem that they've almost diluted their own product, haven't they? A little bit. They haven't helped themselves. You're absolutely right. I think it was only a couple of days ago the WBA announced they're getting rid of interim titles. Mm. So I think. 
Daniel Dubois, Dubois, whatever title he's got, is going to be non-existent. So, but they've got you know the regular, the super. I can't keep up. And I'm the in- international ones as well, don't they? Which is sort of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for me as a, as a Brit, it was good to have an area title. It's you know mm. area English, British, then European, and then a world title. Now after the you know, there's a lot more in between, isn't there? Every governing body's got a, a youth, an international, a silver. You know, and it's just. You know, all the promoters, you've got to pay sanctioning fees for that. But all you're doing is just stuffing a belt on a box of, you know, for the boxing fan, who knows if it's an world title or not. I mean, mm. I'm in boxing and I can't keep up. And I think you're right. They've done it to themselves. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day who said, because the British Boxing Board, although they're brilliant for boxing in the UK on the safety aspect and that, you know, they, they it is difficult, you know, you're very restricted on what you can do. And somebody said, it wouldn't surprise me if a, a WBC came over and you could fight under a WBC jurisdiction, irrelevant of the boxing board, because in America you can fight wherever you like, whatever you like, mm. under what commission. And somebody said that, you know, I could see a WBA, WBC coming in and running their own UK, you know, fights. So, because at the moment you can't fight as a pro anywhere unless you're under the jurisdiction of the British Boxing Board of Control. But if you, WBA came in and did their own thing or matchroom did their own thing separate to you couldn't fight for the board again you couldn't fight for a british title but you could fight for any mm. of whatever the wb decided to put on and then fight for their world titles. you could just go through their route so it's interesting i think the next 10 years you know we'll look back and it's going to be an awful lot of change but you're right like you said well you inferred that the, they've done it and the commissions have done it for themselves by putting all these extra titles in and do you know what it's just making it's a money-making thing it's a shame mm. it cost a fortune and they're getting sanctioning fees all over the place now, you know, where they, where they shouldn't. There's the people with titles who shouldn't have titles. <laughs> it's true. And then, although Darren Barker is, is very candid, said to me that, you know, in his, uh, he was very fortunate to be around in this day and age or in 2013 when he won his world title, because actually mm. with Gennady Golovkin and Canelo in his division at the time, it was looking very difficult to, to get a yeah. world title. Had he, had he not been able to, um, to, to fight, I think it was for, uh, Giel, wasn't it? Daniel Giel, the Australian. Mm. Um, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting permutation. I think the Lonsdale belt, as you say, may be threatened by that, but actually the British belt in a way holds a lot of residents and history still that people it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's uncomplicated, which is, which is fantastic. and still means a lot yeah. to the British. Boxers, yes. I know. Um, what about um, the? You talk about business and money, and I, I have a lot of conversations on WhatsApp and stuff with with fellow people in the media and, and boxing, talking about the concerns over the celebrity exhibition matches, the YouTubers, mm. Jake Paul, Logan Paul, because ultimately, what you're seeing there is is popularity and following trumping mastery and, and skill set, I suppose, and experience in boxing. What do you make of that? Because we've got. Jake Paul against Tyrone Woodley, haven't we? Coming up mm. this weekend, who's a, a former UFC fighter. So, what, what do you see? How do you see that? Because you must be thinking, "Wow, it's so strange that these guys can just organise these matches and get millions of dollars for a year of training or whatever they've done in boxing." I, I, I sort of don't see it as boxing, in a way. I mm. don't knock anyone for trying to make a living and then making an awful lot of money out of it. I feel for the boxers who you know, who have to slog and sell tickets to get on shows and some of them drift because they just can't sell. And that yet somebody who's got, you know, billion views on his YouTube channel can earn <laughs> an awful lot of money with the very little boxing experience. But it's entertainment, isn't it? We're in a world where people are going to choose and we're in a, you know, people can see everything from their phones, their tablets, their TVs. And, you know, my kids wouldn't have, wouldn't have heard of Ryan Martin, who's fought for that eliminator, but they'd have heard of Jake Paul mm. and they, this big fight he's having this weekend. 
you know, but and they'd be following him on and they might pay the, you know, 15 quid on pay-per-view. Dad, can we watch it? You know, okay, whatever. So I can't <laughs> knock it. It's not, it's, I don't see it as fitting in my world, but, you know, I know Eddie Hearn's put a couple of these shows on, on his undercards in America, didn't he? Billy Saunders was on a main event and yeah. someone was under... Was it, I think, I I think Billy Joe Saunders was on the undercard, I think, wasn't he? Of, um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, right, yeah. one of the which fights, is, yeah. Which is, which is crazy, isn't it? But yeah, I think it was KS, KSI Logan Paul, wasn't it? Their, their rematch it. or something, yeah. Which was massive, you know. Americans mm. wouldn't have heard of Billy Joe, but, you know, my kids heard of that fight, the main event, but they wouldn't have heard of Billy Joe. It's a crazy, but I can't knock it. You know, it's, it's, it's going to sit there side by side. It's not going away. And if anything, it's going to get bigger, isn't it? I mean, they were, once upon a time, you know, you'd have had... Muhammad Ali versus, you know, and Hulk Hogan mm. or whatever it was, and some charity thing, and there's some sort of crossover. But, you know, now you're getting, you know, um, Oscar De La Hoya is coming out, he's fighting, and have you seen that card? That, you know, it's yeah. a sort of, of a crazy card, isn't it? And, yeah, Tyson Roy Jones Jr., yeah, there was the other one, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, 15 quid pay-per-view on Fight TV or whatever it is. People will pay that. And David Hay, you know, mm. against his mate, you know, just it's crazy, isn't it? But... Do you know what? I always think the more rivals you can get on boxing, the better. Mm. You know? Just as long as, so, long as no one gets hurt, isn't it? I think it's the key in the, yeah, if they're, if they're novices, then, yeah. That's always with a concern because it does seem sometimes the American commissions will sanction anything, really. Mm. You know, and they'll, they'll call it a professional fight or, you know, and I think... Um, so, like you say, as long as nobody gets hurt, it doesn't matter. We can all sit in the same field. There's enough, I think, now with the way there, you, the, the ability to view sport is available to so many people that you're not taking anyone else's space there's so yeah. much there's so much space so there's enough room for everyone you know and i don't think you know by people paying a pay-per-view to watch jake paul isn't meaning my my guy on the 18th of september isn't selling <laughs> any best tickets has no. no bearing whatsoever so i think just the more eyeballs on boxing just makes it because there was the worry once that ufc was starting to take over and boxing was starting you know there was always mm. that risk that boxing could become a, a less popular sport and something else could take over. But these celebrity fights, shall we call them, are, are keeping boxing out there, aren't they? There's yeah. more eyeballs on the sport, and it's still boxing, whether it's to my sort of, you know, old school standard, it's still boxing. Sure. It's, 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 it's called to the armchair fans. So. Yeah, I think a big component, actually, I had spoken, it's on the podcast, to a guy called Anthony Taylor, who's fighting on the undercard this weekend, is American... Californian who's fighting um, Tyson Fury's uh, half brother Tommy Fury, I think, oh, in the uh, this weekend. But it, there's a six seven inch height difference and a sort of normal forty pound weight difference. So I think we were just questioning. He's very upbeat about taking on Fury, but I was saying, you know, is this is this healthy? That's the only concern, isn't it? It's things like that. Where, do, as, a, as a boxing manager in particular, and you're cognizant of this as a boxing promoter, the, the the need to get eyeballs on your on your product to get attention. When you have a talented prospect who may be introverted, may not be self-aggrandizing, may not want to come on and, and, and yeah. talk the big one, how do you handle that? How do you approach those conversations about, look, boxing is about talent, it's about skill, yeah. but it's also about getting yourself out there, a la Floyd Mayweather in UFC, yeah. Conor McGregor. How do you handle yeah. that balance and how important is it to match the strategy with the personality of the boxer? Well, yeah, absolutely. Some are, some are naturally gifted talkers and some have natural, you know, massive followings. I've worked with Hakeem Ennis-Brown and I've, we did his WBC youth in uh, Gloucester. Yeah. He didn't need any advice. You know, <laughs> he sold a stink load of tickets. The place was absolutely humming with his people, just absolutely lifted the roots. He's got it. There's another, you know, and then someone else who's quite shy and introvert, but a brilliant boxer. You know, and we tell all the boxers, you've got to have a Twitter, you've got to have Instagram. You've mm. got to be on Facebook. You don't need to be posting that three times a day. Someone does. 
they need to see you sat on a ring apron just doing a good thing. They need to do those those steps down in town, you know, yeah, yeah, stamina steps or whatever, you know, long runs, sparring chips. If you can't just pop up and say, by the way, I'm fighting next week, can you buy some tickets? They need to see your story. They want to see your journey. So, you know, you look at someone like a Dave Allen, you know, headlining at an O2, who's Dave Allen? You know, <laughs> he's a really good talker and everyone likes him and warms to him. He's built up a following. They can go main event at the O2. And I sort of quote that to people. So it's no good just being a brilliant boxer in the gym. People need to know who you are. They need to yeah. know, they need to see your journey. They need to see you all the way up, not just two weeks before a show to start selling tickets. They need to get to know you. So people can say, I want to go and see that guy. He's like six and oh now. He's been stuck. He stopped mm. a couple. Well, I've, I've heard about it. I'm going to, I'm going to go to that show. Looks really good because he's on it and he's on it and he's on it. So they need to, so that's how we try and educate them. You've got to get on that. You know, you've got to be on the social media. You don't have to be really good at it, but someone does. You know, you can get your mate taking photos of it, you can get your partner taking photos, but you just need to let people know you're out there. Because, mm. you know, if there's like you're only fighting two, three, four times a year, that's a big gap between fights. You can't just pop up a couple of weeks before every show. They won't even know who you are. No. You know, and, and, and a press article following the event, that's it, it's gone. Especially, you know, yes, yeah, so, so much noise in the modern world, isn't there? So, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, they've got to keep, got to keep the fuel in the plane. You know, they've got to keep going, keep going, keep going. The influence is interesting. The influence of professional wrestling in the States or the sort of um, mm. celebrity wrestling, it, it, what it's done, because it was uh, Muhammad Ali built a lot of his act on Gorgeous George, wasn't it? The wrestler, he, yeah. he'd seen him and that that kind of bravado and, and yeah. extreme sort of, and he was obviously a wonderful wordsmith naturally. Absolutely. And But then you think of wrestling, you think of The Undertaker, they had this, what the Americans call stick, don't they? Or shick or yeah. whatever it might be. And, um, yeah. and, and then they had Hulk Hogan, you, you mentioned. I just wonder whether that is something they can take away that maybe if you don't want to be seen talking, talking a lot you make that the identity you make it as a sort of solemn kind of fearsome fighter and like you say get someone to take a picture of you it's just sculpting it's almost having a, a project isn't it an alter ego that you create yeah because it's not just one template you know they're, they're different personalities and it's you know that you want them to have a personality you know either with their ring name or their their kind of interview like you just said to be in the the, the, the sort of quiet the sulky the hulky whatever you know there's nothing wrong with that yeah as long as they do something Mm. But they've got to do something. You can't just go quiet because, like I've said, you can't be just the best boxer in the gym and this brilliant prospect of no one who knows who you are. You know, so it's good to start with maybe just it may, uh, sometimes because people can't, you know, you haven't got to show them all your secrets of knocking out people in sparring and stuff. You know, you don't want to, mm. want to see that because you might not get any fights. But you need to build a story, build a person, persona, personality. And it could be the quiet man. It could be, you know, but they've got to do, they've got to do something for sure because there's a lot of prospects out there. So you've got to make noise. You look at someone like uh, Riddy, Key Men's Brand. Yeah. He makes a lot of noise. Yeah. So people, he gets himself, he gets these fights. He goes away for them, but he gets them, you know? What Because what, Riddy's been on the podcast a couple of times, obviously local okay. to me, doing a fantastic job. And yeah. you just wonder, like, because he's, he's such an accomplished boxer and people I, I really value as judges of boxers Spencer fear on aka the master knowledge on social media is a friend of mine yeah. he thinks that Akeem's great but he says but the, the problem is that finances that Akeem doesn't typically get knockout victories and he's almost avoided yeah. because of that because people know they might lose to him and they, yeah. they don't always see the the upside obviously he's got a big fight coming up this weekend as as well yeah. um Akeem how do you balance that out because sometimes there's a superficial lusting for the the knockout win isn't there there is actually, you know, I'm, I'm up there. I'm watching the fight actually this weekend. I'll be up there. Um, he's so awkward though, isn't he? Really, mm. you know. But he doesn't yeah. have the power. I mean, they talk about it in the build-up. I'm going to knock you out. Maybe <laughs> not. Maybe not. <laughs> but, but absolutely right. I mean, everyone strives for that. You know, I'm watching. Um, 
I was just watching some documentary on Nigel Benn the other day, and mm. that's just everyone loves that, don't they? You know, yeah. so and do something like really the other way. He's just awkward. Those doesn't have that power, but you know. But then I think everyone who looks at him thinks they can beat him, so he doesn't have any trouble really getting some of the fights. He talks mm. and winds him up, and they look at him and think, "Well, you've got no power. You're not going to knock me out. You're just awkward." Actually, I didn't get through that. I'm just, yeah. you know. So if he was knocking out. 15 out of 15 it might be harder for him to get the fight interesting yeah so that's probably helped him get the fights and he still comes away with the win anyway yeah. everyone goes in there thinking he's, he hasn't got a punch he's just awkward I've got, i know how to beat him but they so, don't well, <laughs> so, and sometimes it comes as well doesn't it because he doesn't sustain any damage and i just wonder like do you remember josh warrington we, we never thought he'd win by stoppage did we and then he was stopping some some supreme fighters so yeah, it's interesting yeah. how that that can develop yeah absolutely i mean the thing is with, with punch power You've either got it or you haven't, you know, mm. really. It's one of those, I mean, just a tweaking of a style may make it, you know, might make your punch power better. But if somebody's a non-puncher, as a rule, it's very difficult to change that. See, because it's either, it's one, of, it's one of those things I know from being an ex-amateur sort of amateur boxer and then a bit of white collar, some of the guys you go in have just got it, you know, they mm. don't even have to try. And they, they feel like they're hitting you with a, they've got breeze blocks on the end of each hand. <laughs> and they're just throwing casually. Somebody else is trying to take your head off and they're, they hit like your nan, you know. So, <laughs> so, it's, so, so you know, some of them can develop it over time. But I think by the time you get to sort of, you know, you're in, you're in your twenties, you're sort of a bit established. Very rare, I think, for people to start sort of stopping people, unless they were doing something completely wrong. Yeah, there. like vo volume of punches, maybe, or something like that, potentially. Yeah, I mean, some of them like that. Some of them are. I mean, I remember talking to my dad. He said he's fought some guys who just hit. They feel like he said. He said, do you imagine a scaffold pole and they're poking you? And he said, sometimes when they're jabbing it, felt like that. He said, some people just have it. He said, um, you know, but, and they didn't necessarily knock you out. But God, you know, if you didn't take, and he would say, if I didn't knock him out, I'd be in trouble later on. So he said, you know, because the volume of the, the pressure, and some people are just naturally strong and heavy handed, not necessarily concussive. Mm. And if, they, if they're accurate as well and they can get to you, then it's going to weigh you down. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the evolution of Lennox Lewis last night because we were watching a documentary, which is fantastic, one on Sky oh, yeah. Documentaries, and how his power just evolved. But he was so accurate, so so skillful. Yeah. It was a phenomenal watch for a man who was who was so big. But you mentioned your dad there talking about heavyweight legends, and he fought a few, wouldn't he? No, Eddie Nielsen. Tell us about what you remember about him. Do you remember him being active as a, a youngster? I do actually. I'm lucky. I'm lucky enough to. Um, in the early 80s, he did what they call comeback. I mean, he was 32, which is uh, it's not even old now. No. He, he, had, like, he had eight two years off, which is what yeah. most people have had off with COVID. He was 32, mm. it was a comeback, which isn't even old now. And he and he had like, um, I think he had three fights. He had a couple in Bristol, and then he fought Bargain, and then he fought Bruno. And I went to the, so I was lucky enough to be about 13, 14, yeah. 13, when he had those, those fights. So I went to see them. Um, so I went to see the Bristol ones. I was at the Bugner fight. I was at the Bruno fight. So I remember that was my first. That was my first live. I was an amateur boxer, but that was my first live professional experience of big fights. It's, what uh, was that like, though, to see your, your dad get your dad lose? What was that like and get stopped by Bruno? Uh, well, it's hard, you know. It's, it's you know, my mum's there. My mum was was well renowned as being very loud at ringside. You could hear her <laughs> on the TV. Um, and I'm saying we're just passionate. It's like go on, dad, go on. We're just kids. We're just teenagers yeah. and stuff, you know. And it's. Quite emotional. I mean, I remember before, uh, I think my dad, he fought a guy called um, Roy Walker or someone like that in Bristol. He's this great big guy. He's about six foot six. And I went behind the scenes. And I walked back and said to him, I've just passed that guy, dad boxing. Um, he's massive, mum. He's massive. And she's like, oh, don't mean anything. Better sort him out. And then <laughs> I think that stopped him in two or three or something. Oh, like that. brilliant. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And it was just, you know, for me as a 13, 14 year old, 
when the kudos you get at school with your dad on the front page of the local paper, the Swindon advertiser, you know, it did, it did my, girl, my girl's um, action there, I'm at all, I tell you that. Did you, did you ever try and turn pro or think about turning pro as a, a boxer? Uh, not good enough. I had like, you know, 30-odd amateur fights, you know, one more than I lost, got to a couple of regionals and the quarterfinals and one national, but not good enough, really, mm. you know, and I get to sort of 16, 17, you know, not quite good enough. You know, I was sparring in, in Swindon with some schoolboy champions and, and I just couldn't get near them. They were just, you know, Mark Brown yeah. and Patrick Lucas were very, very good. Won a couple of national championships. And then my sparring partners, and I was just, I didn't know, they were just picking me off. I couldn't touch them. I just weren't good enough. I'd love to have. But, you mm. know, when I look at some of these these guys who've gone pro now, I would have loved to have had the skill. Although I certainly had the, the, the work ethic, the attitude, just weren't good enough. And I mm. see some of these ones and some of these ones I trained with who were national champions were good enough but didn't have the work ethic. And I was like, I'd love to have had your skill. I mean, I mean, one of them, Patrick Lucas, I've said it before, I used to go and meet him at his, his pub that his dad owned and we'd have to run another two miles to the gym. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd stop him on the way and we used to run, it was like a three mile run to the gym. Wow. And he'd stop the fag on the way. And I'd say, come on, Pat, we go, no, mate, mate, no, 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 we, no, he's got to have a quick fag. And I'm thinking, if I had your ability, God, I just, I didn't. And he was stopping Did and, you know. Do you believe in nature over nurture then? Because it's always a debate, isn't it? Is it hard work? Is it repetition? Or is there something that's sort of natural to people that they can do certain things? You mentioned the punch power. And I think when you play football sometimes as kids, you'd always there's always like one kid who could just yeah. kick the ball. He might have been a waif, but he could kick the ball harder than yeah. anyone else. You know, he could suddenly loft the ball at eight over the crossbar and no one else could get yeah. it off the ground. Yeah, no, I think if you've got it, you've got it. I mean, listen, I did it for a long time, so I weren't bad because I did it for a bit. Mm. There were other people who could have done it far shorter time and been better than me far quicker because they had it. You know, I've seen, you know, people just come in the gym, never done it before, and they look like they've been doing it for years. They've yeah. just got the fluidity of the movement. They've got lucky with the punch. They've, you know, you can tell they haven't boxed to a certain extent, but you can, they've got it, you know, and some people have just got it. I remember taking my my son, you know, toddlers football, you know, and he, they're just yeah. swarming around, falling the ball around. And there's some young Polish kid who was just scoring 10 goals just had it you know it's like five or something you know i think so i think it you know that the nurture certainly helps but some people have just got it and i think mm. when you get to the elite level i mean i've seen people in sparring sessions who look brilliant and i think god they're going to go on far but they get to british level and then that's as far as they go and then they get beaten a couple of times and that's it you know so to go on to the the really high level they've got to have it they've got to have naturally they've got to have the chin they've got the punch they've got the persona Psychology, psychology yeah. you know there's so many you know there's this x factor but you know you certainly see people who've got it in the gym you know and um you can get people who are not bad just because they've done it for a long time but to really get somewhere you've got to have it yeah and that mental strength comes into play doesn't it when you get to the elite yeah. level as well i think that kind of self-belief yeah. and, and focus etc etc yeah. et what about the west country then because you said your dad fought in bristol you're based here trying to big it up in swindon oh you're in sirencester yeah. i'm in cheltenham can, can you yeah. make this a, a bit of a boxing fortress it's always an, an anomalous sort of pl place in the sporting world isn't it i know you've got swindon town near you yeah. and, and we've got cheltenham town here but it's, it's rugby country to a to a large extent yeah. what, what do you think about the, the future of boxing here can we well, make I it big really good you know I, I you know we we well, I built this brand a couple of years ago called Fight Town because we're Swindon is a fight town. It's a funny little town. Mm. It's a, you know, it's a small market town, 108,000 population. But we have, because I was doing an awful lot of the white collar, we were, you know, 
in other towns, they might have, you know, Gloucester might have one, somebody putting a white collar show on every now and again. We ended up having three or four different promoters all competing with each other. Wow. We were the first ones to be putting these big press conferences on. It was like white collar boxes. And I had them all on a top table, microphones, had the local press there. It was white collar. You know, we had a couple of thousand people in the, you know, <laughs> in the Oasis Leisure Centre. We had, the, you know, the beautiful ring girls, we had all the smoke, the lights. It was, we were getting more than the pros were. So we helped sort of build this. And because obviously with my, with my dad's name, sort of quite well known locally, there's some boxers coming out of Swindon. Jamie Cox was a great amateur yep. coming out of Swindon. You know, so we, we, we built some, you know, we got more pros now than we've ever had in Swindon. And we used to have one or two back in the day. Yeah. Um, you know, now... There's, 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 I think there's like about a dozen pro boxes of Edson Swindon. But obviously with Gloucester, you know, we've got Max Mudway over at Stroud. You've got Riddy over at Gloucester. You know, they've got the odd boxer over there. Yeah. Bristol's obviously being taken care of by the Sanagans, who we work with as well. But they've got an awful lot, you know, sort of like uh, going over the bridge as well into Wales. They've got an awful lot of boxes. But, you know, we, we run some, you know, we have a, an awful lot of um, footfall for all the boxing shows, all the white collar and the amateur and, the, and that's on the pros now locally. So it's, it's like a bit of an anomaly. You don't really find that in many of the similar kind of towns. Mm. You can get it in a Birmingham yeah. or a Liverpool or a, you know, but little market town like Swindon, there's a hell of a lot of boxing going on. You know, I know, you know, I know it because I can look at the local paper and you look at sport and you have to drop down, you know, and you, yeah. love, you love football, you love rugby, you love boxing. And then the other towns, Stroud. Just box is not there, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't even yeah. have boxing on there. That's classified as other sport. So it made me feel good that actually when we got a, our own drop down, it must be, you know, that's the number of articles you've got going out. So, you know, it's that's a good. funny little town. We call it Fight Town, but, the, you know, the crowds here are some of the best about those, you know. You, you mentioned Paddy Fitzpatrick because obviously people associate him, I, I guess, in recent times with George Groves, obviously yeah. the, the, the Carl Froch rematch at Wembley, the mm. challenge to Badu Jack. He's a, he's a pretty uh, charismatic character as well, isn't he? Yeah. Is, it, is he one of the main gyms in Swindon? Are there, is there, are there other gyms that are providing good fighters? Well, he's the, he was the main gym, you know, but at, at last year he sort of made an announcement he's withdrawn from professional boxing. Has he? I didn't even miss that, yeah. sorry. So he's, he's like, I mean, he's a fascinating character. I mean, in the early days, me and him sort of butted heads a little bit. I think we're very, you know, um, he's very complicated. I think he's a deep thinking guy, um, you know, but with this, when we got this fight town off the ground, we ended up, me and Paddy ended up doing five shows together, working mm. in, in partnership with each other me putting on the promotion with his stable of boxes being the main guy. Luke Watkins, who's a top cruiserweight, is one of, was one of his. Um, and he's, he had a good stable of sort of undefeated, you know, sort of like 2-0, 3-0, 8-0 type of, type of boxes. Um, his gym was a great gym. You know, George Groves down there, David Hay, obviously with his connection, he was, yeah. he was down there. So, it's a, you know, and he's a, a real boxing man. He's got a great backstory, hasn't he? But he's sort of withdrawn a bit from the professional game now. So there's, there's a couple of other gyms, a couple of other trainers, um, you know, but, uh, you know, we do miss, we do miss Paddy, we do miss what he had. I'm still in contact with him because he's still got the ear of a couple of his boxers, his old boxers, even though he's not necessarily in the game anymore. Still wearing the top hats and the eccentric kind of uh, <laughs> attire. <laughs> he's always got a hat on. He's yeah, always yeah. got Bob Marley going in the gym, always got Bob Marley, no matter when. Every time I hear a Bob Marley song, I always think of Paddy because he's always like Peace Brother, you know, and he's got a Good. cap, a bandana, a hat of some description. That's just his way. But he's a great guy. He's a great, I really like him. He's, you know, I've got to know him really well over the recent years. Top guy and a top yeah. boxing man. He knows his stuff. He's been around a long time, you know, and he's worked for some some of the who's who in boxing, hasn't he? Obviously, from his time with Freddie Roach's gym. 
Yeah, amazing, really, actually. Amazing story, amazing character with it. Yeah. Just want to, to, to finish up, Mark, and we'll, we'll give you a chance to talk in the details of, obviously, of the, the shows coming up as well. But this this podcast is called Sport and Life. I started it because I was sort of fascinated by the uh, relationship between sport and, and life outside of it. What maybe sport informs, why are we still obsessed with it as we get into our into our middle age, et cetera, et cetera. What, what do you think? What, how has boxing helped you in, in aspects of your life, maybe in your business or your personal life? What's it, what's it given you and your, your character? Or maybe practical skills as well in terms of running a business and, and managing people. Well, I think um, interesting question actually. I mean, boxing's been part of my life since a child. You know, um, my granddad was a, a treasurer of the local amateur club. My dad was a pro. I was an amateur. So we've just grown. It's all I've known. And I think probably if anything, it's taken that. Uh, I can from boxing has given me that sort of resilience. Uh, you know, I've seen guys come from nothing to be something big, to see that what drive and what resilience and what hard work. You know, people say, oh, you don't know how hard I got it. i got to do that. And I got, you know, I see what some of these boxers do and I've seen what they've done over the years and then what they've achieved. And it, can, it really sends that message to you. So when I'm sitting in the business environment and I see someone saying, well, I'm finding it a bit tough at the moment. I'm looking at thinking, you don't really know tough. So you know, and I don't necessarily say that to them, but it's given me that that world experience, because just, just having a business head, you know, I'd be focused, I'd be driven, because that's necessarily where I am, or is it boxing's given me that drive as well, mm. because, um, but I, I take some of the lessons from boxing into my business world, it gives me resilience, it gives me that drive, it gives me that ambition, um, and no doubt on my business, I think is more successful now because of my link with the boxing. I mean, I like to win at things, and I like to win, and it's not just sitting at the ringside and watching my guy win. I like to win in business, and I'm sure that's linked with the boxing. Yeah, that's been, you know, I mean, this the sport is littered with stories of you know how it's taken people from nowhere and given them something. I mean, mm. I wasn't from nowhere. You know, I've got a business which is doing okay, and I've you know I've got a good background and everything, but it's certainly given me a lot of skills, which has no doubt helped in my personal life and my business life. Yeah, you like to win, but presumably boxing helps you with how to bounce back from defeat as well, does it? Because that's that's part of life. Yeah, I probably get more disappointments in boxing than I do in, in other parts of my life. Just yeah. because, you know, you, that, that bell rings, that your guy is on his own. He's walking to the middle of the ring against the other guy and there's nothing I can do, his manager, his trainer, anything you can do anymore. And so, and defeat happens and you have to learn. You can't always win. But as long as you know you left everything in there, you know, I did on my kids actually, because my sort of kids, it's you know, they're they're striving for either there's some exam and they really need to mm. get it. And yeah, but what if I don't? But what if you don't try? You know, you've got to go. Get yeah. ready. Try yeah. Can't. What will be will be, but you've got to go. So you know, absolutely right. Do do your best is the is the key absolutely. message, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so where where are the fights coming up? So I've got 18th of um, November, Mecca in Swindon, that brilliant small venue I mentioned to you. First show they've had. Um, since since COVID, we've got a 10 fight limit now because the boxing board said there's a 10 fight rule, maximum rule. So we've got, so which means we've rather than stacking up with 14, 15, getting everyone back out again, we've had to be selective. So we've got to pick our best 10. So we've got Luke Watkins, top 10 ranked cruiserweight on the bill, Bradley Townsend, Fahim Khan, and the Eliminator for uh, Southern Air Wetweight title. We've got a couple of debuts, some really good talent. Um, and we've got some uh, some experienced guys, Jensen Irvin, 3-0. We want to fast-track him to sort of some titles. Do you know what? I was saying to someone the other day, he said, how much are tickets? I said, look, 40 quid and 55 mm. for ringside. I said, you're going to get 10 fights of boxing in a small hall venue with a pub next door. I said, <laughs> does it get any better than that on a Saturday night? You've been locked up for how long? 
come on, you know, you should yeah. be bringing all your mates down. And that is a great night. And then a couple of weeks later, we're in Bracknell working with Charlie Oliver over at CO Boxing. He's got a fantastic stable of boxers. We've got a couple of Chris Sanagas guys over there as well. You know, we've got some top 10 ranked fighters on that bill. So we've got um, two shows um, within a couple of weeks. Got, we're back out again, Swindon and Bracknell in November, hoping to have about seven or eight shows next year. Looking at getting one in Gloucester with some oh, of the local talent. Because we've got, obviously, we know Riddy. Riddy's fought six times for me. Yeah. Um, we've got Max Mudway's fought, you know, he's fought a few times in the, the, the Mudway Massive. So, you know, from Stroud. <laughs> And obviously that that gym has got um Shab um making his debut. So we're looking at a Gloucester show next year as well. So um stay tuned. What chance Cheltenham? Can we get Cheltenham on the uh, boxing map? <laughs> I did have a look at, I did have a look actually at their sports ground once, but then did you? Uh, uh, yeah, we did have a look. We thought we might be doing an open air one at um but uh doing the race course. Yeah, that'd be but, good, wouldn't um, it? I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think anything's off the table. I've got such an open mind, you know, we'll go. Where yeah. you know where we know that there's a, there's an appetite for it, let's go there. Well, it's great to speak to you and it, it, to hear you speaking so effusively when you're a successful businessman about your your role in boxing, what it's given you, what it's given the the mm. fighters you work with, what it gives the fans, all of us, inspiration. Because I think, Mark, it's an important con con conversation at the moment because of what's happening with the health, CTE, brain damage. People are looking at that not only in boxing, but they're looking at it in rugby and football. And we're all thinking as parents, you know, what are the risks of, of getting my kids involved in this? But you mentioned Gloucester, my my nephew Jacob's at the Fight Factory with John Pittman now. He's gone over. He's only five, just turned six, actually. And he, um, he, he's grown in self-belief. He now goes twice a week. And he's, he's loved that he was getting bullied a little bit in his reception year at primary school. And he's, uh, he's grown. So it's been a huge character boost for him. But that is important, isn't it, to, to give both sides this debate? Because no one gets out of this life alive. And it's, it's weighing up your risks. And I think there are definite upsides to competing in sports, like boxing, like football, like rugby. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a balance, isn't there? There's a risk in everything in life. But the, the upsides of boxing for certain people are just immense, aren't they? You know, mm. it can take them away from bullying, trouble gets them out of the house, start not hanging around a street corner, drinking a litre of diamond white <laughs> or whatever. It just gets them out and it gives them something to focus on and it gives them something. I mean, Riddy's got a great story, hasn't he? You know, mm. he's been around some, he's, he's lost some friends with food through um, knife crime. And it's just given him something. And he says himself, you know, where would he be without boxing? So there is a bit of a trade-off. Yes, there is a bit of a risk to it. I've just read Tristan Dixon's book, you know, mm. which is a bit, you know. Damn it, damage, yeah. yeah. Damage, and it makes it all very raw, doesn't it? Yeah, because you can't deny it. I mean, TV's full of the stories from the football, people heading football. But these guys are getting hit around the head every day, every week. Yeah. So we know there's a risk there. But the upside is, is, is so immense, I think, for so many people. It's so positive, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, and I think the effects of Tris Books, hopefully he's hoping, will, will, will play out in sparring as much as anything and there'll be yeah. a different approach to that because so much damage is sustained in, in training yeah. for fights, you know, whether it's touch sparring or, or how you do it yeah. rather than, than yeah. full contact. Um, yeah. But Mark, brilliant to speak to you. Really appreciate it. And um, best of luck with everything. Before you go, can we follow you on social media? You mentioned that. Is there a way of keeping across everything? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, Mark Nielsen. Also, Nielsen Boxing is on all social media platforms. Brilliant. You're a man of the modern world. Mark, appreciate it. Good luck and we'll speak to you soon. Great talking to you. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed that chat with Mark Nielsen, very knowledgeable guy about the intricacies, complexities of the beautiful but befuddling world of boxing, the business of boxing and fascinating as well that his passion drives him through already successful seemingly in another business that's provided for him and his family but that passion for the sport compelling him to achieve more 
and become uh, even more prominent as a promoter beyond the West Country area. But great to have him here. Do check out his information on Nielsen Boxing for his shows. Hopefully you can't hear too much coming in the background there. There's hamsters, my sister-in-law's hamsters here while they're on holiday in uh, Mallorca. Lucky devils. Um, but yeah, check out Mark Nielsen's stuff. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please refer it, rate it on iTunes. Thank you as ever to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out uh, Jason and his team in the courtyard in Montpellier, if you're Cheltenham based or local to the West Country, but if not, Bang Olufsen Cheltenham website for best equipment and also that company serene av can source you whatever you're looking for in terms of home entertainment systems audio televisual and get you something that matches your budget your vision as well so thank you to them thank you to cytoplan ongoing association with the podcast if you're looking to optimize your immunity maybe built upon strong foundation of sleep nutrition movement just that micronutrition maybe that supplements can give you extra boost of vitamins and minerals, trace elements. My father's a big fan, has worked as a consultant for Cytoplan. And you can go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. Get a discount with the podcast of Draper10R is the code. D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numbers one zero and the capital letter R. I think it's 30% off your initial purchase, 10% thereafter. So thank you for them. And uh, thank you to for you for listening. Please pass it on. Word of mouth powerful, isn't it? But if you could share it on social media too, fantastic. If this was any interest to you, that beautiful world of boxing, the befuddling complexities of it, but certainly a lot of people, and it's great to see them back, being able to express themselves in the sport, fan to go down as well. So I hope Mark Nielsen has the best of luck. Thank you for listening to the podcast, guys. If you want to follow me on social media, sports broadcaster in the UK, Ed Draper81 on Twitter, Ed underscore Draper81 on Instagram, Facebook page too. Or anyway, take care, have a great week and thank you again for listening. Goodbye for now.